Acts chapter 20, verse 24. It's going to be on the screen, but I also encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. If you've got your devices, you can turn there also. But Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Verse 23, Paul is talking about the bonds and the afflictions that he experienced, everything that Paul went through. Then he starts off this verse, Acts 20, verse 24. He said, but none of these things move me. I'm not persuaded. I'm not turning back. Bonds and afflictions, persecution. He said, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish finish my course. Everyone say, my course. With joy and the ministry. Everyone say, the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. After all that Paul has been through, he said, but none of these things move me. He said, I don't count my life dear. He said, I want to finish my course and the ministry. And so I want to speak on these three things, my life, my course, and my ministry. Amen. My life, my course, my ministry. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We just thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that faith would come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Lord Jesus, help us, Lord, to glean from your word and to hear it and to apply it. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Amen. Praise Lord. You may be seated. At the end of this service, we're going to be taking communion together. And we always look forward to that. But Paul said these words. He said... The most important things is my course and my ministry. He said, I don't hold my life dear, my life dear to myself. My life is not about myself. It's not about what I can get. My life is not about me. He said, I neither count I my life dear to myself, but that I might finish my course with joy and that I might Finish and do the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, at the beginning of the year, it's always a good time to reflect on our lives. To examine our lives, a self-examination. To take an inventory, some people may say. Where am I? Where am I going? What is my focus? Have I got my priorities right? It's a good time to go and to think about and to reflect on our lives. Because I hope everyone agrees with this, but I think we all want our lives to mean something. We're going to spend our, if you're lucky, the Bible says you get three score and ten. You probably might get a few more than that as well. But we all want our lives and our time on earth to mean something. We want to accomplish something. We want our... After we've gone, we want to, of course, we want people to remember us. But more than that, we want to leave a legacy. Everyone say a legacy. We want to leave something behind after we've gone. And so to be able to leave a legacy and to be able to have a successful life and to make an impact and for our life to mean something, we have to be careful because we can easily just find ourselves getting off track and chasing wrong things and even our priorities can be mixed up and that's just part of being a human. 
But to stop and to look at our life and say, where am I going? Where am I doing? What is my focus? Are my priorities right? We all want our lives to mean something. In fact, the Bible uses terms like this. We want our life to be fruitful. Fruitful. Every life should be fruitful. And we want our life, especially since God has given us breath in our lungs, and especially as Christians, because we know that one day we will stand before that great white throne judgment, and God's basically going to say, what did you do with that one solitary life I gave you? And let the answer be, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We want our lives to be fruitful. Now, how many people here have had or have a fruit tree? Yeah, we've got some fruit trees. Now, we, if we're going to plant a tree that's a fruit tree, we want to make sure it's going to give us some fruit. Now, a good fruit tree will produce fruit. But if it's only going to produce fruit in one season, then we may as well just cut it down. Because it's not fulfilling its calling. It's not doing what it should. And so it's not just about having a season of fruit, but is that our fruit should remain. And, and Jesus says these, he says in John 15 verse 16, it's on the screen, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And, and then he says, not just fruit in one season, but that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And so I want to know God's purpose for my life. I want to know what God has called me to do. I want to be, if God has put breath in my lungs, then I want to be fruitful. I want to have my fruit remain in season and out of season. And like Mark Twain, and I don't like to quote many other secular sort of people, but he said the two most important days in your life are the days that you were born and the day that you find out why you were born. Your purpose. And so living a life that fulfills God's purpose is my goal. I hope it's your goal that we would live a life that fulfills the purpose that God has for us and that we would hear at that great white throne judgment when we stand before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we would hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, we break that up. Well done, okay, good. Well done, thou good faithful servant you're not going to hear those words unless you've been good unless you've been faithful and unless you've been a servant and that goes right down to what it means to being a christian that we want to live according to god's word we don't want to live in sin we want to be we want to be good even though our our own righteousness is as filthy rags i want to live according to god's word i want god's word to lead the way that i live i don't want to live in sin I don't want to sin. And I want to be faithful to what God has called me to do. I want to be faithful in, in every aspect of my life to God. I don't want Him to take second place in my life. I want to be faithful and I want to be a servant. I believe that everybody in the body of Christ, everybody in the church has the call of God on their life. It's not something that's just reserved for the ministry. God has a unique plan and purpose for every life. And let me tell you, your life, don't just take this as a corporate thing. God has called every single one of us and he has given us abilities and talents and experiences and God wants to use you.
Everybody say me. Now, potential, we all, know, we all know people, and we've all known people that have tremendous potential. How many, how many people can say they know somebody that's, you, you can just see it. They have so much potential. Yeah, you know people like that. We all know people like that. We all know people who are fulfilling their potential. We're so encouraged when we, we know they've got potential and they're fulfilling that potential. We know people that are yet to fill their potential. We're praying. We know they've got potential. We're praying that, yes, that they would fulfill their potential. We know people that once had great potential. But sadly, the ditches on the side of the road of life are full of people with potential. They're full of people that had such great potential but never became what God wanted them to become. And as a pastor, it is my passion to see people realizing, not just living as a Christian, but realizing their God-ordained potential, their God-ordained purpose, getting plugged into something that is going to last beyond the grave. Amen? Because let me remind you this, the old song says, only what you do for Christ will last. It's the only meaningful thing in this world is what? The only thing that's going to remain after you've left is what you have done for Jesus. And so I want to, I want to use my potential. I, I have potential. God has given me potential. I want to fulfill my potential for the glory of God. I want to have fruit in my life, that my fruit should remain in season and out of season. But it's not potential alone. It doesn't matter how much potential you've got. Potential alone is not enough. Potential must become an actuality in our lives. You can't just walk around and say, I got so much potential. I got so much potential. I got so much potential. But unless it is actually realized, unless you do something, you see, Jesus paid the price for our salvation, but we will pay the price for our effectiveness as Christians. Let me say that again. Jesus paid the price for our salvation, but we must pay the price for our effectiveness as Christians. Jesus made it very clear. He said, okay, you want to follow after me? You want to be called a disciple? You want to be called a Christian? Then deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I died for you. He purchased, he paid the price for our salvation. And if we're going to follow him, he makes it very clear that your effectiveness is going to cost something. And so there's a lot of people that are sitting on church pews but not effective and they're not living in the, the realm of their God-ordained potential. There's, there's a lot of people that mean well, but they're not effective. The parable about the man who buried his talent. Think about that. That's a great example. To mean well but not being effective. He buried his talent. He meant well, but he wasn't effective. I want God to use me. I want to be focused on meeting what God has for my life. I want to fulfill my God-ordained potential. You see, I want to be effective in the kingdom of God. I don't want to be lukewarm. I, I want to be hot. I want to be on fire. I don't want to sit on the fence. In fact, I, I, believe, I believe this. I don't believe that anybody can be redemptive neutral. Let me explain what I mean. I don't believe that anybody can be redemptive neutral. Redemption means to see people saved. All right? I don't believe that you can just be in a neutral position. We are all affecting people either in a good way or in a bad way. We're influencing people to become Christians 
or we're turning them away. I don't believe you can say, well, I reached the end of my life and you know what? I managed to walk that fine line of just complete neutrality. In fact, I believe the worst advertisement for Christianity is a lukewarm Christian. My kids are here tonight. I'll just say this up front. I'm not worried about my kids hanging around with non-Christians. I'm more worried about them hanging around with lukewarm Christians. The most dangerous person to my child is a lukewarm Christian. Somebody that says something but's not. Fake Christians. I'm just getting right up in your grill. I'm sorry about that. But when a non-Christian sees a lukewarm Christian, they see a boring life. Jesus said, if you want to live for me, I'm going to give you an abundant life. But when they see somebody that's just living on the fence, lukewarm all the time, that's somebody that's living a boring life. Because you know what? On the other side, on one side, living for God, he says, I'll give you an abundant life in John 10, 10. John 10 10 but then we read in the scriptures that the Bible also says that there are pleasures in the world for a season and so I'm not a preacher that's going to deny that there is pleasure in the world there are pleasures there you're going to have some fun but it's only going to last for a season and so somebody that's sitting on the fence this is the way they think all right they're sitting on the fence they're lukewarm they come to church And they're not really here because they're thinking about what they could be doing outside. They're on the fence. And then when they're outside and living the worldly life, they're out there and they're feeling guilty because they know what the Word of God says. And so they're sitting on the fence. They're not enjoying the abundant life in Jesus. And they're not even enjoying the pleasures of the world for a season. I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. And at the beginning of 2023, let's set in our heart, I want to grow in God. I want to grow in my relationship with God. I want to grow in my knowledge of the Word of God. I want to grow. And so there's no such thing as being redemptive neutral. We are all affecting somebody. It just depends on the way you're affecting them. Oh, well, Pastor, I'm I'm harmless. (laughs) I I don't do anything, but I'm harmless. We're either affecting them in a good or a bad way. So a self-assessment is always a good thing. And how do we do it? We take the Bible. You don't judge yourself against the world. You take the Bible. You take the Word of God and do a diagnosis of your walk with God. And if you are connected to the vine, and do a diagnosis of how is my connection with my Savior? How is my connection with the vine? Because if you are connected to the vine, if you are connected to Jesus, there will be fruit. The Bible says that. And so if there's no fruit, then we better check the connection. So I know this sounds a little bit more, but I'm sorry. But sometimes when you do a life assessment, and some people in, church, in this church have been game enough to do this. But picture yourself, all right, before you go, when you go home tonight, I want you to sit down and picture yourself at the front of this church, about where that communion table is, and picture yourself in a wooden box. I told you I was morbid. And start writing your own eulogy. All right? Put yourself in the box and say, what is the preacher going to be able to say with integrity? I know... Sometimes as a, as a pastor, you, well, I haven't really had to do this, but I know some pastors that I had to do, they have to think long and hard about what they can say. 
with integrity or to find a way to say something really, really nice. But you know what? You don't have to wait. Picture yourself now in that box and start writing your own eulogy and say, you know what? I want my life to matter. I want to leave a legacy. I want to fulfill my purpose uh, and do that self-assessment. We must live it now so that they can say it then. I know we all say, I hope they say good things at my funeral. Well, you've got to live it now so they can say it then. And so Paul says, I, I did not count my life of any value to myself. But what I wanted, I want to finish my course, the path that God has given me. And I wanted to do the ministry that he called me to do. My life, my course, and my ministry. You see, Paul knew the value of life. <laughs> you know, when, when, you, when you get a, a bad doctor's report, suddenly you start thinking, oh, we start realizing the value of life. We don't want to lose it. Before we can become a little bit ho-hum and a little bit thrippin' and, you know, we, 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 um, I mean, mean, when I was young, we, my dad and I would go up into the Torres Strait Islands and uh, the Torres Strait Islanders would take me out to the reef and there's lots of sharks there. As soon as the boat comes onto the reef, the sharks all come up off out of the deep water onto the reef and they're cruising around because they know the boat and they know there's going to be fish. And so big tiger sharks swim under the boat. And I was climbing in the boat on the beach and my dad yells out to me, he goes, Jonathan, you're not immortal. And those words were ringing in my ears, Dad. When we pulled up onto the reef, the tiger sharks came, sure. And they, one cruised right under the boat while they, everyone was jumping in. I said, they're sharks. They said, don't worry, they're not hungry. They're well fed up here. And they are. And so I'm standing there watching all these guys catching crayfish and spearing fish, feeling, feeling really left out, Brother Bill, remembering the words of my dad, I'm not immortal. So what did I do? I jumped in the water and thought, well, at least I'm going to die enjoying myself. <laughs> but we realize how precious life is. And Paul said, my life is valuable, but it's not valuable to me. I don't value my life for myself. Paul knew that his life was a treasure. And I want to remind you today, the life that you have is a treasure. Every day that you have is a treasure. Wait until the doctor gives you three weeks to live. And then you start thinking, yes, even every hour is a treasure. Every breath is a treasure. Every day is a treasure. And Paul knew the value of his life. But his life was not a treasure for him to guard. It was not about keeping you know, it for himself. It was not a treasure for him to guard. But Paul said, my life is a treasure for me to invest in the kingdom of God. My life is a treasure. And you know what? Paul invested his life in his calling, in his course, and he invested his life in the ministry. The old hymn says this, it matters so little how much you may own, the places you've been or the people that you've known. For it all comes to nothing when placed at his feet. It is nothing to Jesus, only memories to keep. 
You may take all the treasures from faraway lands, take all the riches you can hold in your hands, and take all the pleasures take your riches can buy, that your riches can buy, but what will you have when it's time to die? The days pass so swiftly, the months come and go. The year, years melt away like new falling snow. Spring turns to summer and summer to fall. Autumn brings winter, the death comes to all. Only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one chance to do his will. So give to Jesus all your days. It's the only life that pays when you recall you have but only one life. I want to read from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Now, I'm going to really, I really hesitate to read from this version of the Bible, the message. I could think of much better versions to read from. But sometimes, and I was thinking about this, sometimes we hide behind the King James, the these and the thous, and the real, sometimes the real meaning doesn't, confront us as much because it's not in plain English. But here's what it says, and I, I was confronted by it because it, it just makes it so clear. Romans 12 verse 1 and 2 says, So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Everybody say an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to our culture or your culture that you fit into the culture without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out in you. God develops well-formed maturity in you. Now, you might not recognize that because I, all the verses, I learned this in Sunday school as a memory verse, and I can't really recognize that. But that's Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 in plain English. It says, place your life before God as an offering. Don't become so well adjusted to the culture that you're living in, but instead fix your attention on God. You see, God has a plan for our life. I want to conform to his plan. I want to live his plan. And it's going to cost us something. Jesus died for our salvation, but our effectiveness is going to cost us something. And isn't it true, if we're not careful, Selfishness can creep up very, very easily. Selfishness, a self-centered life, can, can creep up on you so easily. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for you to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. An old preacher named Kenneth Haney said this. He said he told a story of this communist boy standing on the street corner. And he's standing there with tattered clothes, ripped up clothes, and he's, he's propagating communism. And someone walked up to him. He said, you're paying a big price for communism. And the boy responded. He said, when you're changing the world, no cost is too great. I mean, he believed in his cause. Let me tell you, there is no cost too great when it comes to living for God. 
If somebody can give that for communism, if somebody can give their life to worldly endeavors and worldly causes, how much more should we give God our best? How much more? No cost is ever too much. I want to live my life for God. Let's go to Mark chapter 14, verses 3 to 9. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 to 9. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon, it's going to be on the screen, verse 8 and 9 are going to be there. A man whom had previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. That is Jesus. And some of those at the table were indignant. They said, why are you wasting that perfume? She came in and she broke it over Jesus' head. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. They made fun of her. But Jesus shut them all up. But Jesus replied, verse 6, Leave her alone. Why do you criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? Why are you criticizing her? You will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want, but you will not always have me, Jesus says. He says these words, she has done what she could. I want you to stop right there. Don't go comparing yourself to anybody else, but God expects you to do what you can do. He says, she has done what she could. And let us go to the grave knowing that we did for God what we could. We gave him the best that we had. Jesus says, don't criticize her. She's done a good thing. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth. He goes further. Listen to this. And I, we, we, this is why I'm preaching this. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, or wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's actions or this woman's deed should be remembered and discussed. It should be preached. And so they're criticizing her for pouring that expensive ointment over Jesus. And Jesus says, stop. She's done a good thing. She's done what she could. And by the way, for the rest of, he, of, of this known world, keep telling the story about this lady. Preach it wherever you go. Tell her story. She did what she could. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, I'm telling that story today. Only what you do for Christ will last. Do what you can. Use your life for Jesus. Look over your life and say, I want my life to be fruitful. This young lady, she had a thought. Everyone say a thought. Her thought could change history, and it did. She stood in the house. Nobody could see her. She had a thought. She said, I want to do something for Jesus. And you know what? Her thought became an action. And maybe you're sitting here tonight, and you've got a thought just like that woman. You've got that woman with the alabaster box. You're standing here. You've got something to give to God. You've got a thought, and God is moving on your heart. Let me tell you, let that thought become an action. Don't just think about it, but do it for God. And you know what? Her action became history. And Jesus said, keep talking about her. 
Wherever the gospel is preached, tell this girl's story. And we've had dreams. We've dreamed great things. She stood in the corner where she could see Jesus. Jesus was there relaxing. She has her alabaster box. And when she thought what she would do, nobody would ever think of doing that. She went and broke it over the king and anointed him. <laughs> Maybe God's been speaking to you about doing something great for God. And you're thinking, well, why would I do that? Maybe you're worried about what your friends are going to say. Well, if I move, if I do that, somebody's going to make fun of me or my friends are going to tease me or people are going to call me stupid and all those sort of things. There's no way that God could use me because there's so much better people around. Let me tell you, if you've got it, it's your choice. It's your moment. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Who will you serve? And if God is putting the thoughts in your mind about doing and, and challenging you to do great things for his kingdom, turn it into action and do it. So she stood there and she stood there. She's thinking, you know, God is going to use me. But, you know, there was one hurdle she had to get past. There was one hurdle. And it was her past. And I know there's people in church that think, you know, I'll do something great for God. But, you know, how can God use me? What about my past? What about my mistakes? Let me tell you, your past does not dictate your future. I preached on Sunday. God cannot give you your destiny while your hands are still full of your past. Your past does not dictate your future. God wants to do a new thing. When he comes to you with a thought, when he comes to you with inspiration, when he comes to you and speaks to you, will you step out or will you hide? Jesus says what she's done is a good thing. He said wherever the gospel is preached. You know what? She did what she could. She did what she could. She became a hero. What will you do? What will your life say? What will be your eulogy when Jesus asks you to witness to somebody? To tell somebody your testimony, what will you do? When Jesus asks you to disciple somebody and come alongside them and encourage them in their walk with God, what will you do? Will you say, oh, well, that's for somebody else or that's for the pastor or that's for the seasoned saints? What will you do when God speaks to you about coming alongside somebody and discipling somebody? What will you do when God says, I want you to use the gifts that I gave you. I want you to use them for my kingdom. What will you do? When he calls you to serve, service is ministry. Anybody who serves is in ministry. You know, a lot of people get it wrong. I think when I get into the ministry, you know, I'm going to be, um, going to be behind this pulpit all the time and just telling everybody what to do and uh, people going to salute me. No, you're a servant. In fact, you want to be great in God's kingdom? You've got to learn to be a servant of all. Really, nobody's ready to preach unless they're willing to be a servant. When Jesus tells you to invite somebody to church, what will you do? When Jesus calls you to help with the ministry in the church, what will you do? When he calls you to the mission field, what will you do? When he calls you to be an evangelist, what will you do? When he calls you to preach, what will you do? She stood there with a thought. God had obviously was moving on her and she stood there and her thought became action and her action became a history. And Jesus said, tell everybody about it. She did what she could. But in reading this portion of Scripture in Mark 14, what really jumps out to me 
is after we're finished talking about this lady, this woman with the alabaster box, then the script changes dramatically because we go from this woman who is known and to be preached about throughout the whole world, okay? Then we also read here, I've just got to find the scripture. Sorry, Mark chapter 14. I hope it falls in the right chapter. And so Jesus says, make a memorial of her. Wherever the gospel is preached, let it be a memorial. So this great woman. And then the next verse, in verse 10, who are we reading about? Judas. This woman with the alabaster box had a moment. Now Judas has his moment. The very next thing we read in that, in that account in Mark chapter 14, we're reading about the woman with the alabaster box. We think, amazing. Jesus says she's done what she could. Go make a memorial wherever you go. Preach it. And then bang, another moment. This time it's Judas. Judas, one of the 12 disciples, went in to the leading priest to arrange to betray Jesus to them. Another moment. They were delighted when they heard that what he, why he had come and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. In that moment, Judas betrayed Jesus. He slipped away. He went to the Sanhedrin. He made plans to betray Jesus. You see, one stood for Jesus. The other caused him to die. One praised him, the other rejected him. One loved him, the other betrayed him. There's two ways you can go. Let me tell you, church, it's your moment. It's your choice. It's your life. And I want to tell you, only what you do for Christ will last. My life, my course, and my ministry. The race that we live, Paul's aspiration in the course of his life was to run his race well. He said, I keep my eyes on the finish line. I press towards the mark. You know what? He, he had his course. Everyone say his course. In, when he wrote about it, he said, my course. Everybody has a different lane that we're running in, but we're all headed in the same direction. Everybody has a different call on their life. He kept his eyes on his own lane. He wasn't worried about what other people are doing in their lanes. And there are going to be obstacles that come your way. And even the, the word race comes from the word agony. It's going to be hard at times. It's going to be tough. It's going to be worth it. But you know what? The Bible talks that there are a great cloud of witnesses cheering us along. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race that he set before us. Paul said these words in 2 Timothy 4 verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. <laughs> I have kept the faith. You see, you can't keep a godly man or a woman, godly woman down. They're going to get up and they're going to keep running this race. And I don't know what brought you down in 2022, but I tell you today, get back up on your feet again. Get back up on your feet and keep in the race. Stay the course. Keep the faith. You see, Paul said these words. He said, I have fought the good fight. Yeah, that tells me sometimes there's going to be a fight. And even though we might be fighting against a bad enemy, any fight where you're willing to stand up to the enemy is a good fight. 
Sometimes, you know what? <laughs> I've been known with some of the young people to, to say this, and sometimes it annoys them. They say, I'm going through a really tough time, Pastor. I said, well, just keep punching. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, stay in the fight. Don't get, don't get knocked down. Don't go running away. Stay in the battle. Keep fighting because God is on your side. Just keep punching because you're going to get through it. We don't give up. Throw up our arms, throw on the ground. Ah! No, stay in the fight. It's a good fight, Paul said. Any fight when we're fighting to live for Jesus is a good fight. And then he talks about his ministry. The apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, make full proof of your ministry. We are to make full proof of our ministry. I want to do what God has called me to, to do. I want to serve. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, and I'm getting ready to finish. It says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. So Jesus didn't come to be ministered to. He came to minister. And so the word minister means service. He says, so even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but he came to serve. And here it is. When you're serving, that's when you're most like Jesus. Oh, hang on. I thought when I, when I was sitting at home with my, in my recliner, reading the Bible and expounding on the Word and memorizing and getting all theological, I thought I, I felt like Jesus. I tell you, you're most like Jesus when you're serving. You're most like Jesus when you're serving. My ministry, my life, my course and my ministry you see my life it's my gift from God my course it's my assignment that God has given me and my ministry and my service is my gift back to God my life my course my ministry